Welcome to the Northeast Community Church Podcast. If you have any questions or would like to know more about us, visit us on the web at necommunity.church. And so today we are concluding our sermon series on tough sayings from Jesus. Tough sayings from Jesus. And in this series, we've highlighted tough things that Jesus has said. Today, we come to a, an account that's tough on multiple levels. Multiple levels. It's difficult to kind of dive into this. It's tough theologically to wrap our minds around it. It's tough. It was tough for the followers of Jesus who were present while Jesus was saying it. And most of all, it was no doubt tough on Jesus as he said it. Now, I'm going to give y'all a little bit of church etiquette. The preacher says he doesn't really fully know where he's going that morning. You might be in for a long afternoon. Um, I've wrestled with this text a little bit, and um, it's, uh, it's a tough saying for a reason. Um, and so I believe that where the Bible is silent, we should not scream loudly. We should not inject our own thoughts or ideals into the Bible. But today I'm going to be treading in a little bit of theological high water. And so, listen, um, I am going to be very careful as not to say something that the text does not say, even in those areas where the text appears to say certain things. I don't know if you guys saw just recently a prominent uh, prosperity gospel preacher who's been preaching prosperity for years. He just recently repented of some of the stuff that he's been saying over the years. Um, and so that's the nature of being uh, holding your theological framework so tightly that God can't have room to be God in the midst of it. And so hear me this morning. If you have any misunderstandings about anything that I say, please feel free to contact us at elders at any community.church, and we will kind of sit down and we'll discuss some of the different variables of what we've said. Amen. And so this morning, I have an illustration to help me out, and I'm going to give a pre-warning. If you have young children in the room right now, if you want to uh, excuse yourself for about two minutes and 15 seconds, um, you know, you might want them to stick around and see it. But this is a scene from The Passion of the Christ. It is very graphic. And so if you have young children in the room right now and you uh, feel like you want to take them out, if you'll raise your hands real quick, we'll, 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 we'll give uh, space for them to be excluded. Amen. Uh, listen, I understand the sensitivities. I watch it, and I'm like, my stomach tur turns in knots. And so we want to uh, be sure that we are, we're honoring the parents and allowing them to um, step outside in a moment. And Yoshika, if you do me a favor once it's over, if you can just let the people in the hallway know that uh, it's over. And so here's a, 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 a motion picture depiction of Jesus crying out to God on the cross. Some of you guys may recognize that as from Mel Gibson's The Passion of the Christ. When I first saw the motion picture, I had a visceral reaction. I can remember being in a theater and there were a big biker dude sitting in front of us. I mean, like full on, had the leather pants and the boots and the in like, you know, 6'5", 280, you know, sitting up there, the big beard, and like the toughest guys in the room looking. 
And I can remember after the closing credits ran, nobody moved. And as I was coming down from the place that we were sitting in the theater and walking in front of these biker dudes, they were weeping. They were weeping. Um, Mel Gibson's depiction is so much heavier, so much weighty, so much like real life could have been than the pictures that we have in Big Mama's living room. Where Jesus had the thorns in his head and he had the little trickle of blood and he was looking up and he was just smiling. But the scripture tells us an entirely different story. The scripture tells us that Jesus suffered for our sake. I pray that today we will experience and be able to see Jesus' experiences on the cross in a new light. And that scene is depicted in the gospel messages, but we're going to take special aim at Matthew chapter 27, verses 45 through 54. If you need a Bible, please raise your hand. We'll have someone bring out a copy of Scripture to you. We have a hand up right down here. Uh, We'll bring out a copy of Scripture to you. That is yours to keep. Uh, We love giving away Bible. And we read from the English Standard Version out loud, but you can, any version to do. It's the same word, just translated in a few different words to kind of help us uh, understand. And so in Matthew chapter 27, verses 45 through 54, it reads, now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. Darkness. If you write in your Bible, circle that word darkness. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. (laughs) It was even confusing to some of the early listeners. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the others said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. As Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrected, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the son of God. Truly, this was the son of God. Now, I'm going to make a few observations again. I don't want you to make a theological treatise based on this, but these are just some observations that I made in the scripture. One, when Jesus came into the world, the Bible says that at the midnight hour where it was really dark outside, there was a great light that symbolized Jesus's birth. And here we see this this picture. Jesus was uh, placed on the cross at about 9 a.m. And it said from the sixth hour, 
there was darkness over the land till the ninth hour. So from about noon to about 3 p.m., there was a great darkness across the land. Some people will say it was an eclipse. Have you ever seen an eclipse last for three hours? Something was happening when Jesus was on the cross. The Bible teaches us that he was there from, if we do our, our math correctly, that he was about there about approximately about six hours. In the last three hours, he was there in total darkness in the daytime. Now, some people try to explain it away, say maybe it was just a sandstorm. How many people you see standing outside in a sandstorm? Well, maybe it was just a cloudy day, but the Biblical writers had the language to say that it was a cloudy day. I believe, I believe again, again, theological waters, don't just take my word for it. You can believe what you want to believe because this is not essential to salvation. But I believe that God was given an image or illustration of the darkness that was going on in the world. That the light of the world was about to be stamped out. That the lights were going to go off. So this creates some questions. For some, if Jesus was a perfect life, if he led a perfect life and God is just, how and why would he have been forsaken? If Jesus led his entire life to follow God, at the age of 13, we heard him say to his parents, did you not know I must be about my father's business? At his baptism, we heard that the Holy Spirit descended on him and a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son who I'm well pleased. So if he lived a life that was pleasing to God, what happened? Why did he have to die? As you can look at the imagery on the screen, the Bible tells us that he took 40 lashes of the cat of nine tails which was these long shards on these whips with leather, and they had bone and glass and things inside of the leather. And some people, leather, and some people say the Romans were even so cruel they had this metal ball at the end of it that it would hit before the other uh, elements would hit to tenderize the meat so then it could dig in, and then the soldiers would rip down. And so Jesus' flesh is literally being grated off of his body. But that's not the worst part. Because other people went through it. That's not the worst part. The worst part was God was turning out the light on the light. God was giving, taking the life away, the very life. Now here, here's the thing. This is what I'm talking about, theological stuff. God, Jesus was God, and Jesus was 100% man, and his 100% manhood never uh, mixed with his 100% divinity. That doesn't mean that God did, Jesus wasn't aware of his divinity, but there was something inside of it. It's a theological term called a hypostatic state. Well, he faced the things he faced as a man. Now, some people will say, yeah, because Jesus did as man, we can do as man. No, 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 we don't have no hypostatic state. Don't put yourself on the same level as Jesus. And so, why would he have been forsaken? This was to introduce this concept of a substitutionary death. A substitutionary death. Darius stepped outside of the room, but we saw last night when the Longhorns were getting momentum, people would go down, act like they even drinking no pickle juice. Oh, I, I need a sub. <laughs> Don't tell him I said that. 
But a substitutionary death means I see your life and I'm going to replace your life with my life and I'm going to get the just due that you deserved and I did not deserve it. And for it to be a perfect substitutionary death, Jesus had to lead and live a perfect life, which he did. The Bible teaches us that he lived just as us, but without sin. That's why there must have been a virgin birth, because, listen, we are all born into sin. The Bible says we're born into sin. We're shaken in iniquity. And he was born of a virgin, and his father is God. And so that gave him the ability to be 100% man and 100% God. Now, ask me how you do the math on it. I don't know. Like I said, we're in theological tough moorings right now. If I could explain Jesus, I would be Jesus. I don't know. But I know what he came and declared. I know what he came and said. And so Jesus lived this perfect life. It pleased God. However, we're not perfect. We are sinners. And according to 2 Corinthians 5.21, if you turn it in your Bible, you can get there real quick. It says this, for our sake, he made him, he being God, made him being Jesus to be sin who knew no sin. He made him to be sin who knew no sin. Not only did he take on our sin, he became the embodiment of sin. So that God could punish sin once and for all on the cross. So that, watch this, this is the part, listen, this is the payoff. This is the good part. This is where it don't get no gooder than this. He says, in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus became sin so that in him, we can become the righteousness of God. Here's a challenge. We got to get in him. We got to be in him. The Bible says that he was not only crucified for me, he was crucified as me in the substitutionary atonement. And so when God was pouring out his wrath on Jesus while he was on the cross, it wasn't about the nails. It wasn't about the scars. People had endured that and died from that before. This was something totally different. Jesus was becoming sin. He had become sin so that God could pour out his wrath on sin. And the scripture teaches us that we were in him. I don't know how that happened. All I can say is that God is not limited by time and and space. And so some, somehow, some way, some way, I was inside of Christ while Christ was on the cross and God was pouring out his sin. And it was as if whatever Christ was taking, whatever punishment he got, that was meant for me. And all I had to do was be in him. And if I was in him, then I am the righteousness of God. And some of you might be asking, well, how do I get in him? The Bible said it's quite easy. If you confess your sins with your mouth. And believe in your heart that what he did on the cross was enough. It says you will be saved. Okay, I heard about it, but how did Jesus do it? I'm glad you asked. We have a lot of scripture today. When we dump, dump into some deep theological stuff, we have a lot of scripture. Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 5. Watch this. This was written to Israel thousands of years before the cross. Isaiah, in his prophetic writing, says, surely he was born. He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Listen, I know this is a tough way of saying it, but basically what he's saying is we thought that God was punishing him because he had did something wrong. That's what the, what the Jews were thinking. He was a blasphemer. Like he had to be punished. 
And it says, we thought God was punishing Jesus. But watch this in verse 5. But he was pierced for our transgression. That word there means rebellion. He didn't die for their sin. He died for our sin. He died for my sin. Because I have a rebellious heart and I consistently want to walk away from Jesus. Some of us may not act like it, but sometimes when we're wrestling with sin, we repent because we don't like the way it feels. But there's something inside of us that wants to just go right back to it. You know, uh, am I talking to anybody today? That thing that we felt like we've been delivered from, but uh, let, 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 let the smell of it come close to me. Let, 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 let something come close to me that looks like it used to look when I used to be involved in that. And, some, and sometimes this is a wrestling match, and God is saying that you're rebellious. Your heart is desperately wicked. And so he was pierced for our rebelliousness, for our inability to stay close to God, our, ability to, uh, our inability to want to serve God. He was pierced for that. And then watch only that. He was crushed. For our iniquities. Now, some of us, we got piercings. We say, okay, piercing one that, like piercing. But he had, he had this, this pole with this sharp knife on the end of it. It's called a spear. And he was up on the cross, and the Bible says he was pierced to ensure that he was dead for our rebellion. And then the Bible says he was crushed. Now, wait a minute. I don't remember the Bible saying crucifixion had anything to do with crushing. Well, because crushing was not so much about, uh, uh, about the physical pain that was c- coming upon him. It was, about, it was about God's wrath was crushing him. Have you ever felt like life was just crushing you? Like you couldn't come up for breath, and it was a p- perfect picture image of the crucifixion because he's laying out on the cross, and he, he, he's basically suffocating, and he has to kind of push himself up uh, in order to get air to his lungs. And so it was crushing on Jesus. The physical was happening, but that wasn't it. That was this heavy emotional weight that his iniquity was being crushed by God on the cross. Well, I just said a second ago, he had no iniquity. No, our iniquity was in him being crushed on the cross. Our depravity, our perversity. And it says, upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. Listen, I am not talking about a prosperity gospel here. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, he did not do that on the cross for your gout to not flare up no more. He didn't do that on the cross because when, when, when your elbow hole, now I'm not saying that God can't heal you of your affliction. I'm not saying that, but he didn't do it for that. He did it so that we could have peace again with God. And he said, no, daddy, listen, I'm going to stand here and I'm going to take on the blows. I'm going to take on the chastisement. I'm going to take on the crushing for their sake. Looking back at the text, they say some people were saying, oh, he's calling out to Eli. And someone, they would give him this, this concoction that was like this wine that would, that, that, that would be like this antiseptic to him. Like, like, like they were trying to give him a morphine drip. Uh, of the day, and, 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 and they said, no, 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 don't do it. Let's see if Eli rescues him. 
And so Jesus is high and laid out on the cross. And I know in, 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 in Big Mama's picture, he had this little Speedo on. No, no, he was buck naked for the world, forsaken. Everybody that he had known left him, save one of his apostles and his mama, was sitting at the feet of the cross. After all the thousands of people that he fed, after all the thousands of people said, surely he's the Messiah because they wanted this political revolution for following him. But then when he went to the cross, he was abandoned and all alone. I don't think I ever know this type of abandonment. Like, I, like, like, like really, I, I tell you guys all the time, like, I, I, I have this, I have these uh, PTSD moments. Like, maybe some of you guys have, have a similar experience. Like, growing up, I never remember a time where I was sick and somebody came and was like, oh, baby, here's some chicken soup, rub my head. Like, I, I just, I, I didn't have a mama who did that. I didn't have no aunties or uncles who did that. And so when I was a kid, I was sick. I was just sick. I didn't know nurturing. I didn't know care. And I remember the first time I went off to college. I was 18 years old, never been away from home for any extended period of time. And... um. I was in East Texas in this little country hospital. They say it was strep throat. I think it was more than that. I really do. My temperature had spiked up so high, I couldn't breathe. And I had these, like, my, my, my throat was just so swollen, like, it, I couldn't breathe. And I would cough up stuff, and it would get caught, and I, I would gag, and I would choke. And I remember gagging and choking, and, you know, I was there in a dorm, and the dorm was basically the, like, I went to the raunchiest school ever. It was a Christian college, but there was nothing Christian on it but the name. And so, like, literally, there was a dude, there, there were dudes at our school where they were in, in the gangs in, in Fort Worth, Texas, and one of the judges there was an alumni. He said, listen, you can go to prison or you can go to this school. Like, that was a school. Like, there was shootouts on our campus. Like, it was crazy, right? And so I'm in there, and we, we just... Lord of the Flies in the dorm, you know what I mean? And so I remember, I remember being sick, and I remember passing out in the hallway with the Lord. And like, I think they probably drug me on the stairs and say he'll be all right. I don't know. Somebody called the ambulance. And for you guys who don't know, that's an ambulance. <laughs> Somebody called the ambulance. And I remember uh, 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 them taking me to Tyler Hospital in Tyler or whatever. And I can remember me getting up and them running tests. And they said my fever was, I don't know, too high to be having a fever. That's why I passed out and all this other stuff. And then they say, you just have a, a, a real bad case of strep throat. I say, you're a strep throat liar. I'm dying. <laughs> I'm dying. And I remember my friends uh, from the dorms, they drove up later to check on me. And they were saying, man, they say it's strep throat. I said, they lying. There's something else. They were like, man, I mean, strep throat can be pretty serious. I'm like, not this serious, man. I'm dying. Like, I'm literally dying. And they released me. And I remember the RA. The resident uh, 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 attendant, assistant, I don't know what it is, the, late, the people who work at the school. Yeah, you know them. And so anyway, they drove me back from this little small town outside of Tyler, which is about 20 minutes outside of Tyler, uh, back to the school. And uh, like just basically just dumped me off in the room. You all right? All right. We'll talk to you later. No nurturing. Dark room. No, no. And I didn't have a roommate. Like I told you, our school was rough. We were running people off. Like you had a roommate the first three weeks of school. After that, you didn't have no more roommate. Like they were just gone. And so I'm just sitting there, no phone, kids, no iPad, no internet, no cable. And I can remember it was one of the darkest points in my life up to that point because I had no one to care for me, no one to love me, and I still thought I was dying. I can remember the panic attacks that I would have. I would wake up in the middle of the night just to make sure I was still breathing. I'm good. And I believe 
that that is just like that. That is just a sliver. That's just a sliver of what Jesus experienced on the cross. He had never been out of the full presence of God. Now, here's another theological challenge. Like some people will argue that God's presence never left him. And some people will say that it did. I don't care where you land on this. All I know is Jesus felt the repercussions of sin. And sin separates us from God. And so on that cross, Jesus felt the full expression of hell. It was utter darkness. And he had you in mind. Your anxieties, your fears, your, you know, the consequences of what sin does in our life. He felt all of that on the cross. He felt all of that on the cross. So you see, Jesus was a sin offering for us. You might be saying, well, I heard all this before, Pastor. What does that mean for me today? But have you ever really considered what he went through? Channel in your mind your darkest moment. Now magnify that by 20 million, and it still doesn't touch what Jesus experienced. It was real. Some people might be thinking, well, Jesus is Superman. We think of Jesus as Superman, right? Like he walks through walls and walks on water and, and he did, like he's Superman. He didn't really feel it. Listen, if he didn't really feel it, it wasn't a real sacrifice. The Bible says he's a man acquainted with our sorrows. He felt every word of it. You know, to give us a belly illustration, we're going to go to some more scripture. Turn, into, turn in your Bible to Psalm 22. This was actually a prophetic psalm. You say, you're going through a lot of scripture. Listen, I want to get you this full picture of what Jesus was going through. Psalm chapter 22, verse 1. Watch this. To the choir master, according to the doe of the dawn, a psalm of David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? This was a prophetic song. Scholars would say David was writing this, but David really didn't understand the fullness of what he was writing. And Psalm 22 perfectly illustrates and and, and goes line by line of what was happening on the cross. You don't think that's enough? Turn to verse 7. He said, all who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Does that sound familiar? Verse 9, you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Think about that. Nobody was coming to get Jesus. He was under the full power of the Roman, just brutal machine. Nobody was coming to save him. There was not going to be no revolt. And Jesus said, that's the night before, if I wanted to, I could have legions of angels come down and that's a wrap. But he stayed on the cross for you and me. Watch this. Many bulls encompassed me 
like a ravening and roaring lion. <laughs> the Bible says that when Jesus was on the cross, he led captive those demonic forces that were coming after him. <laughs> Can you imagine the satanic whisperings in Jesus' ear? Oh, we got you now. Where's your God? Verse 14. I am poured out like water, and my bones are out of joint. Here's another thing. It was miraculous that Jesus' bones weren't broken through this process. He might have had some dislocated stuff, but it was nothing broken. Watch this. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a post heard. My tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircle me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. Wait a minute. I, wait, wait, wait. Psalm David is writing this. This is thousands of years before the crucifixion was ever, was ever invented. Like, you would have asked David, what are you writing about here? I don't know. Just The Lord just led me to write it. I count all my bones. <laughs> they stare and gloat over me. Because Jesus knew that prophetically none of his bones will be breaking. And he's, I count all my bones. You got to understand some things. They divide my garments among them and my clothing. They cast lots. How could you make this happen? But you, O oh Lord, do not be far off. Oh, you, my help, come quickly to my aid. This is what the Jewish mindset would have heard when Jesus was on the cross. I don't think Jesus was giving a sermon. I think Jesus was just really in it. And I think that when you're really in it, the word of God just comes out of you that applies to the thing that you're in. And so Jesus is there, broken scarred, experiencing the real wrath of God, experiencing the equivalent of hell so that we don't have to. So that we don't have to. We get caught up in, in well, can God really send people to hell? Look what happened to Jesus. And if you're here today, check this out. You need to make a decision that you're going to wholeheartedly follow God so that you don't experience this. And it's not so much about the pain. It's not so much about the torment. It's so much about not being ever in the presence of God. Jesus is the only person who's ever been totally excluded from the presence of God. The Bible teaches us that we were created in his image. Now, because of sin, that image has been marred, but that image has not been lost. Some people will argue that it has been lost. But the Bible teaches us in Genesis 9 that you shall not take the blood of another man because that man is created in the image of God. In the New Testament, the Bible teaches us you shouldn't put your tongue on nobody else because that person was created in the image of God. And so we still bear the image of God. Now, listen, there's going to come a time where those who will not accept the image bearer and his sacrifice 
You're going to be externally, eternally excluded from what God is doing. This is a heavy sermon today. This is a heavy message. I told you it was a hard saying. And we come in contact with people all day, every day who don't know that experience. And I think they don't know that experience because we don't fully know that experience. That's why some of us can say in the last day, Lord, Lord, did I not prophesy your name? Did I not go to church? Did I not feed the homeless? He's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. And so on this day, we need to make sure that we make our calling and election sure. Because God actually turned his back on Jesus. Or at least Jesus actually felt it. Some scholars would say Jesus felt that because God was turning his face away because he couldn't bear to see what was happening to Jesus. <laughs> Got more scripture. Got more scripture. Here's the reality of Jesus' experience. We already talked about this one. Jesus was actually bearing the sin on the cross. Jesus was actually bearing our sins on the cross. Listen, you need to make it up in your mind. If you are a follower of Christ, your sins have been forgiven on the cross. And so now you need to develop a different attitude towards your sin. You need to, listen, it is a pet for some of us. But that pet grows up. Sin starts out real cute. But it grows up. Look at the little cute lion cub. Wait till we get bigger and get hungry. You're going to be a snack. Y'all think I'm playing? Listen, listen, there's even stories, and this I know this is more than graphic. There's even stories of house cats when their owners have laid down too long. Ain't nobody left to feed that house cat. Cat lady, gone. Bones and all. That's how sin is. I'm going to move because we got to do communion. Two, Jesus was actually enduring God's wrath. On the cross, Jesus was actually enduring God's wrath. Look at this, Isaiah 53.10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. The King James Version says it pleased him to crush him. He was put, he has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his handle. Listen. This is what sin does. It causes Jesus to go to the cross and causes God to be pleased to crush Jesus so that he won't have to crush you. So that next area of your life that you're saying, well, it's just a little sin. No, 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 no. It caused Jesus to be crushed. It caused Jesus to endure the most crazy mental anguish ever. So much so that Jesus knew what he was born for. He said, I must go and do the will of the Father. He knew exactly what he was going towards. But it was so, when sin crept crept into his life, it was so crazy. The Bible talks about this medical condition that he had where he was actually so anxious that he was 
dripping blood out of his pores. Blood's supposed to be in your body. And so when you're going through the anguish of your life, you can handle it because Jesus took care of it on the cross. And you can know that he is there in it with you. It all goes back full circle here, y'all. I told y'all, once y'all catch on what I say every week, y'all going to be like, okay, Pastor, get some new material. Knowing God is learning to trust him. Intimacy with God is about learning to trust him. And so we're in our darkest hour. We can trust that the one who's went through the darkest hour ever is there with us. Not only that, the Bible says that the, that, that the veil in the temple was torn top down. Again, this is just conjecture. But listen, it, it was torn from the top down as if God was tearing it. And because of that, there's no more veil between us and God. And now we can come running boldly before his throne of grace. Why? Because of what Jesus did, he had to be forsaken. God turned out the light so he can turn out up the light in your life. And now we can say we are the light of the world. And there's a dying, perishing world who needs to, he needs to know this love that Jesus had for us, this kind of love, this selfless love that would, that would suffer, the selfless love that would embody sin for our sake. They need to know it. Not only do they need to know it, you need to know it. And once you get a grip of what that is, I guarantee you're going to share it with somebody. Let them have a sale at the domain. You tweeting all over the place. Walmart recently just had a little full power in the electronics section, had these, these, these cameras that they left a couple of zeros off, and these $5,000 cameras were $50. And somebody went straight up on social media, hey, y'all better hurry up and go get them. Before Walmart could find out what happened, they had already lost. So God, why don't we go out and share this truth? Why don't we share that God has not forgotten you? God will not forsake you if you would just give your life to Jesus. Because again, we haven't experienced it. And the challenge for Jesus was not, not that Jesus didn't know it, that Jesus hadn't yet experienced it. Not that he didn't know it, he hadn't experienced. The Bible teaches us, again, he says that Jesus grew in wisdom and knowledge and in stature amongst God and amongst men. What does that mean? That Jesus was a human. Like God had to learn how to walk. I know this sounds crass, but Jesus had to have a, uh, and when he was a little baby born in the manger, Jesus pooped. Mary had to change diapers. Some of the mamas say, oh, Lord, thank you, Jesus. Some, like, like, you understand. Right? The Bible doesn't record this, so I won't shout about this, but I, I believe, I believe Jesus was a man. He learned how to fall and scuff his knee, and Jesus, he had to learn all these experiences as a God. Like, he had to learn these things. As God, he can't reconcile, he can't understand it. Well, see, this way it gets really crazy. He can't be a man. What, is it, what does it look like to be, like, have joint pains? Like, God doesn't know that. Jesus don't know nothing about that. He don't know nothing about that. He has to learn it. 
it feel like when you get pierced? But you know what that does for us? That makes him a perfect high priest. I might not know what you're going through when you call me on the phone. Pastor, I'm just going through. Okay, let's pray. But Jesus knows every single thing that you're going through. Your fears, your anxieties, your depression. He knows it. He knows what it's like to be depressed. You need to understand that Jesus knows exactly what it's like to be depressed. Jesus knows exactly what it's like to not want to go another further. Jesus knows exactly what it's like to be rejected. Like when other people reject us, we're so hurt. Jesus knows exactly that hurt. Well, he sit there on the cross and he felt like everybody turned their back against him. All them disciples, Peter chopping off ears and everything, cussing people out now. They're going back fishing now. Jesus knows our heartache and our pains. And finally, Jesus was not comforted by God's love when he was on the cross. Sometimes when you're going through and somebody just there, they just put their hand on your back and like, I understand. Why is this significant? He went through that so that you can be comforted by God's love. So what is he calling us to do today? What is he calling us to do today? I think he's calling us to do a few things. First, I think he's calling us to be cognizant of what he did for us on the cross. He wants us to meditate on us. He, he wants us to think about this. He wants us to, listen, this, this realization should be one of the realest things in your mind. Even though you can't see it with your mind's eye, that's why I get to gave the imagery earlier. But this should be the realest thing in your life right now. Jesus died, crucified for me. Nevertheless, I live. Some of us remember our 15th birthday. I remember my 15th birthday, my 16th birthday. I got a brand new car. My mama loved me so much. I remember that wedding day. I remember I walked in the aisle and we were crying and she was so beautiful and he was so handsome and he came walking towards me and he said, I do. And then it was so beautiful. We took pictures. And these are real experiences that mean a lot to us in our lives. But they wane in comparison to the fact that we were in Christ when he was being tortured by God. And so we should be saying, man, I remember the day where I realized what Jesus did on the cross for me. I remember the day when I started walking with God. I remember the day where I knew that I had newness of life. But we're so busy holding on to this little fragment of a life. We're so busy trying to, to, try, try, try to, try to, try to build our kingdoms here. And God is saying, no, 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 you need to understand some things. So I think he needs us to be cognizant of what Jesus did. I also think he needs us to be cognizant of the, of the nature of sin and how it hurts us. We need to build a new relationship with sin. If it's a little white lie, 
it sent Jesus to the cross. If it's unforgiveness in my heart, it sent Jesus to the cross. I, 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 I almost won yesterday, y'all. I went to the store to get me something to eat. I gave that lady a 10, and she gave me $11.85 back. I said, it looks like my lunch is free today. And I look at the lady. Watch this. I look at the lady. I said, hey, 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 I gave you a 10. And she looked at me and went, yeah, I know. Uh, I, I, I entered it wrong. And she kind of looked at me like, don't let my supervisor come over here because I'm getting trouble the second time I did it today. <laughs> so now I got a dilemma. Do I want the girl to get in trouble? <laughs> or do I get this $10 back? And she looked at me and I look at her. She look at me, I look at her, I'm like, Jesus ain't going to let me do it. <laughs> Jesus ain't going to let me do it. And she goes, oh. calls the manager over. And then they get mad at me. Yeah, we're going to need that 10 back. Oh, I'm trying to get back to you anyway. I don't even know what I was talking about when I heard that story. It's a little line on your taxes. A little line on my taxes. A little coming over, a little, you know. Look, cracking the code on the computer, you know. I mean, ain't nobody got no $20 to pay for no software. They just get to go online, get a little crack. Crack, get that for free. I would say download music, but we don't even do that no more. We just stream everything. Everything just go on YouTube and just right there. <clears throat> the little stuff. They sent Jesus to the cross. Certainly the big stuff did. The infidelity, the pornography, the... So what do we do? Let's reevaluate what sin is. Let's keep the cross before us. Thank you for listening. If you would like to know more about us, please visit us at anycommunity.church.